0: Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have John Sunman. He's a writer and fireman. This is Technotopia. As I built out Technotopia, I found myself with a problem. There were not enough hours in the day. I had to write, edit, book, and schedule these podcasts, and it ended up taking more time than actually thinking about them and recording them. Then I found Fit, and I fell in love. FIN is a high-quality, on-demand assistant that takes care of the little things. It can book tickets, it can buy gifts, it can schedule events, it can even build a website or perform market research for you. It's a black box. You put in requests and you get out real, usable product. What can FIN do? Well, Finn knows your preferences. It remembers the people you interact with and it integrates with your email and calendar. Finn can make calls and send emails on your behalf. It can pay bills. It can remember important dates, which I absolutely need. And it just gets things done for you. These features alone have saved me 20 hours per week. Finn is always available on demand, and you only pay for what you use. Once you try Finn just like me, you're going to love it as much as I do. And as a listener of my show, I've arranged for all of you to try Finn for free. Finn.com slash techno. That's Finn.com slash techno, and try Finn for free. Finn has saved me hours. I want you to try it out and tell me what you think. Finn.com slash techno, and thanks for listening. Welcome back to Checktotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show we have national treasure uh John Sunman, author, thinker, uh firefighter for a brief period. Well,
1: 10 years. <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> now retired.
0: So you're like the uh you're the Charles Bukowski
1: of uh, of sci-fi, right? Well, I'm not a drunk. <laughs> <laughs> so I, well, I mean, I hope I'm not.
0: Yeah. All right, welcome, John. This has uh, been—it's been a long time coming, really.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, glad to be here.
0: All right, so we had you on as one of the first uh, Technotopias. I remember this was a while ago, but what's been
1: going on since then? Well, um, I've been working on a book since the dawn of time, which should be coming out soon. Uh, In my own uh, private life, all kinds—all kinds kinds of. personal health catastrophes for my family members, but they've all seemed to be on the men now, so mm-hmm. knock wood. Okay. Um, but that's eaten up a lot of time, just being a caregiver. But, but uh, I also have work construction, as you know. I've been a firefighter, and that, that uh, uh, wrapped up recently. And now I'm just trying to be a full-time writer. Do, do writers have to do what you've done? I think most. <laughs> I mean, most writers have to find some other job. Job. They don't have to have do f- jobs involving physical labor, you know. But uh, be nice to have a gig as a university professor, I guess. But
0: yeah, we could we could probably set that up. We'll get you uh, we'll get you over to NYU and just uh, we'll just sneak you in somehow. All right. Can Are we you, I do it remotely yeah, from well, Martha's you, <laughs> Vineyard?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: you go in as a construction guy, and then uh, and then just kind of sneak your way into the uh, journalism department or something. All right. Tell us about the uh, well. Tell us about Acts of Apostles first, if, if people haven't read this. You uh, you you did a lot of stuff in that book. You basically uh, predicted CRISPR. You basically predicted bioengineering. You predicted a lot of the uh, social media stuff. Is all that stuff still coming true? Uh,
1: yeah, a lot of, a lot of so. Acts of the Apostles is a thriller, um, kind of like a Michael Crichton straight ahead near future thriller that I published in 1999, and so it's nearly twenty years old. And uh, in it, I um, well, I set out to write a murder mystery, and uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine who was a chip designer who couldn't feel, figure out why the chip wouldn't compile, and uh, so I asked him, uh, do I know how to put uh, a Trojan horse into software, could somebody put a Trojan horse in your hardware, and you do not know about it, and he said there's 200,000 uh, transistors on that chip, you could hide the Titanic <laughs> in there, and I wouldn't know it, so that gave me a plot for a murder mystery, a chip designer discovers a Trojan horse in his chip, and he And he gets murdered. And uh, so then I had to figure out why would somebody go to all the trouble of putting a Trojan horse in hardware when it's so much easier to do it in software. And I wound up inventing nanobots to arrange uh, to (laughs) do brain hacking by uh, uh, DNA uh, editing and based on a bacteriophage model. So Mm -hmm. I, uh, I just threw the whole kitchen sink just trying to solve a murder mystery, ended up writing a science fiction novel. And, uh,
0: Did you start with science fiction? Were you always a science fiction writer?
1: No, no. I, I, I was never um, never much... I just read the standard science fiction classics, but I didn't grow up as a science fiction geek. And I kind of accidentally became a, a science fiction novelist. And then I started going to uh, SF cons like mm-hmm. Arisia and Boston and Boscone and a few others like that. And I found out how woefully deficient was my background in in science fiction It was kind of embarrassing I'd be on a panel With a bunch of Of other writers And they would mention a book And everybody in the audience Would know the book And could basically recite it And I had never heard of it So um,
0: Is that absolutely necessary To have that kind of Deep understanding Of the fandom To write anything? No,
1: no, it's not It was just interesting mm-hmm. Um as somebody said to me uh once that people who attend the science fiction conventions are not typical people who read science fiction. They're people they're typical people who attend science fiction conventions. <laughs> right? So but but it was it it is interesting to meet people who are so uh such serious readers, who read so attentively and they really keep you honest, keep you on your toes. Mm-hmm. So I, I enjoy that. But no, I'm I'm still not a big uh Science fiction reader. I read science fiction from time to time, but I read lots of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Like your own bad book.
0: Oh yeah, my horrible book. Yeah, you, <laughs> you, you you reviewed that for me, and you you pointed out all the fa- all the failures that I, was... <laughs> I.
1: I said fifty-eight nice things <laughs> and one or two little little you know opportunities for improvement.
0: Look, it's I well no actually I do need to improve that book. I need to go through it again. This is about Marie Antoinette's watch, and i I remember like distinctly. I, I'm I'm there's all kinds of awful stuff in there that I need to fix, but I just can't go back. No, I can't you bring can't. Myself. No, you can't you can't yeah. do it. You gotta keep moving ahead. Just let the baby let just let yeah. the baby grow into an old age. So what's the new book
1: about? Well, the the new book is a prequel to uh Acts of the Apostles. Acts of the Apostles is set in nineteen ninety-five or so. That's where most of the action takes place. And uh, in it, uh, there are a bunch of most of the characters are either computer engineers or uh biologists, molecular biologists. And um the main characters in the book are in their 30s when we meet them and uh we the reader finds out in passing that they they all had experiences with the arch villain of the book when they were teenagers so the new book called mountain of devils is that tells that story it's the prequel 20 years before acts of the apostles when mm-hmm. this uh, evil genius stanford professor uh gets his hooks into some budding young scientists and starts messing with their minds
0: Okay. So you 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 written the uh, you've essentially defined some of the future. What's what's the rest of the future going to look like? What's the next book going to look like?
1: Well, the, the the next book I'm working on is called Creation Science mm-hmm. and uh I've been working on that since the dawn of time also, but that addresses uh, all meanings of the phrase creation science. So it's creationism and the science of where creativity comes from and uh uh uh, anything else that could go along with that phrase, and it's and it's kind of like a, a, a very um, surreal Thomas Pynchon kind of story set on and a lot of it set on the, the uninhabited island called Noman's Land mm-hmm. off of Martha's Vineyard. Um, so I'll tell you more about that book uh, later. But but what's happening coming in the future? Gosh, I wish I know. That I mean, obviously the climate crisis has now become so obvious that that nobody. Except for the the uh militantly ignorant yeah, they could ignore awful, it. Sure. Yeah. I mean people have been talking about it since the nineteen eighties and uh and it it's uh it's been possible to pretend that it wasn't here, wasn't happening, mm-hmm. it was sometime in the future, but now I don't think any thoughtful person can maintain that anymore.
0: Can we be hopeful in that in the face of that kind of uh, global tragedy?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we still can. There's still time, I think. Uh, I have a good friend, uh, Tom Athanasu, who has been writing about the climate crisis uh, for 30 years. His first book was called Divided Divided Planet, and that came out like, gosh, 1990 or so. And uh, his thesis was that the technological solutions to the climate crisis exist and have always existed. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's Necessary though is a uh, a framework that addresses the needs of the billions of people in the poor parts of the earth, generally called the global South, and and so there, the the problem is not um not the technological one about how to get carbon out of the air and so forth. It's it's a social justice one. How to do this in a way that is acceptable to people. Uh, who have nothing now, the people who are very, very poor around the earth. If if you and I produce, you know, umpteen tons of carbon to maintain our consumerist North American lifestyle, it's hard for us to tell the people, you know, living on a a dollar a week Mm -hmm. in sub-Saharan Africa that they have to remain poor for the rest of their lives because the carbon uh, equation or carbon balance of the world requires it. So we have to find a... an equitable solution that uh, addresses the needs of all the people of the earth, not just the wealthy people. And um, I'm hopeful that we can, there's still time to do that. Um, I mean, not much, but there is, we're not dead yet, you know.
0: I mean, I guess that's the, that's the historic, uh, I was talking with somebody over the week, uh, he lives in Sagatuck and he's, he's seen, he's seen many things come and go basically. And the idea that, the idea that, these, these moments in history are not the end of, of history right we had we had we had uh, violence in the 60s we had wars we had poverty in the 70s and things basically just righted themselves and can think what what does it take for the average person to write these things or should they just sit back and just wait for things to happen
1: no they shouldn't sit back and wait for things to happen uh, absolutely not Um uh, it's a real crisis we have. I mean, civilization itself really is uh, at risk of just disappearing. I mean, we've you know, if you, if you were living in uh, Germany in 1945, it looked like the world was ending, um, mm. but it didn't look that way in Chicago. It, it you know there were there were local pockets where the world was ending. If you were living in Vietnam in 1968, it looked like the world was ending, um, but now it's. The entire earth that's under threat. If you're talking about looking out 20 years and Singapore's underwater, New York City's underwater, uh, you know, Rio de Janeiro's underwater, there's going to be no more effective global Mm -hmm. governments. I mean, it's just going to be chaos and who knows what. Um, So it's urgent. But I think that the solution has to be, uh, first of all, we have to have reasonable people in our government which we don't seem to have now. So that's that's the first step. And 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 then I don't know how to how to address the problem of getting people to abandon magical thinking and adopt logical thinking. Uh-huh. That is a big conundrum.
0: Is it a generational thing? Everybody likes to blame the baby boomers on this on this uh, stuff.
1: No, I don't think I don't think it's a uh I'm a baby boomer, right? Yeah, so so, I'm so, like, but, so I mean in my in, generation to is totally fucked up everything. I also, I yeah. Want, yeah. I, also
0: want to, I also want to get your understanding on it yeah. because it's important for me because I, I watched my dad for example. He 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 degraded into basically just listening to Rush Limbaugh and watching Fox News and and doing stuff that was designed kind of just to piss me off in yeah. terms of a he did it primarily to get attention, I guess. Cuz nobody was paying attention to him. He was he was he worked at, he worked at a, in the government for 30 years, he retired, laid down on the sofa, then lay down on the floor, and then sat down in a wheelchair, and that was his retirement. And that's like the worst-case scenario. You're obviously doing construction and being a fireman and writing amazing books, so it's an entirely different animal. But I would argue that the vast majority of every generation ends up more like my dad, ultimately, and and my generation is the same way. um, That They end up more than my dad, but they also have this special extra little uh, kicks that they got from the perks that they got, GI Bill, uh, socioeconomic growth uh, that was consistent and wage growth that was consistent. The ability to be, graduate high school and get a good job and buy a boat and a pool mm-hmm. and everything. Were those benefits – are those benefits coming home to roost? Is that something? Well,
1: yeah, I think that's part of it. And I think there has always been just part of human nature. There is – there is always a temptation to magical thinking, mm-hmm. and and actually in the history of of civilization, the idea of science and in you know it came along with the Enlightenment. It hasn't been around for that long, right? And and so if you look at people today who are anti vaxxers you know, and and people who believe in all kinds of bizarre conspiracy theories mm-hmm. and and who join cults, it just seems to be a temptation that that people fall into because. If you get into a cocoon where you have a certain set of beliefs that you believe protect you from the realities of the world, that's my analysis anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, people turn to religion uh, for a, a bunch of reasons, but I think the number one is fear of death. And and I was at the Brooklyn Museum yesterday, mm-hmm. and I was looking at the uh, Egyptian uh, rooms with uh, with their preoccupation with with death and how to how to avoid it. I mean, so much of their art, so much of their uh, civilization was based on the the what happens to you after you die and how to make sure you don't die. And then you go up to the Renaissance art, and it's all pictures of Christ and the crucifix and the resurrection and what to do to make sure you don't die. Mm-hmm. And it's just like this, <laughs> you know. And it seems like once you accept the idea that you're going to die and there is no end of it, I mean that there's no escape from that. Then you. Know, you can free up all kinds of other resources to think about sex or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> but but i'm rambling on but i, I think that that um it, there is a you know people get older sometimes and they get set in their ways and they and they become more uh you know ensconced is that a word in, mm-hmm. in their own bubble like you, you describe your your father yeah but i think i think you know, it's a danger for young people too. There are people out there who who are did become um, sclerotic. They become set in their ways at a very early age. And like I said, this the phenomenon of uh, of anti-vax, you know, not believing in vaccines mm-hmm. is is really upsetting. It it it, it you know it, it it's a brutal to to innocent children. It it gets people. It gets children. Um, it causes them to suffer under diseases they don't need to suffer under. It causes some of them to die and and i think that's related to the uh, anti gmo uh, movement and you know i'm very skeptical of large agribusiness companies but i'm not skeptical about science mm-hmm. right and so uh when when uh or science as a gen- i know that science isn't a perfect institution sure, or whatever but 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 when people um um uh, espouse the idea of non-GMO on their food as if it's some kind of magical uh, something or other power to prevent right. evil from coming through their food. And, and you know, if you look at the, the the number of people in the world who don't get enough to eat, right, or don't have enough uh, good healthy food to eat, GMO crops could be lifesavers uh-huh. for them. So, I mean, it's just, it's and, and, but, but this knee-jerk, um, uh, non-rational rejection of it, is is uh, I don't know. I find I, I get all my hobby horse here, but it's upsetting no, no, to me.
0: No, no, I, I understand. I mean, it, it seems it seems like it seems like that's a it is the magical thinking. It's the idea of magical thinking where you have you have some technology that could feasibly improve a very natural thing. The expectation that that, that crops should be natural is has gone the way of the dodo. I mean, it's it's it hasn't been natural since the end of hunter hunter gatherer. <laughs> right, we've we've done GMO to, to plants for, for centuries.
1: Well, now the, Most, the main thing is that we understand how DNA works. Yeah. I mean, we understand we don't understand everything about how sure. DNA works, but it basically that the, the 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 ever since Watson and Creek you know, mm-hmm. elucidated the structure, we say, okay, now we have a basic model to work from. Yeah. And and once you understand that, you understand that DNA is DNA. It's there's no uh, magical naturalness to DNA. Whether you build it molecule by molecule in a silicon DNA foundry or whether it's inherited from other another crop it's still the same molecule
0: what does your world look like in 20 years
1: <sighs> assuming I'm still here <laughs> <laughs> you'll be hanging out well yeah uh, this uh gosh um I am a uh a a, a vuncular, uh successful novelist <laughs> and i i'm, I'm kind of like the terry pratchett okay, uh right, uh, right. uh and and people uh, regard me as uh not a norman mailer or philip uh, roth kind of crank but okay. but uh, you know i i don't know and i'm still healthy i'm still lifting weights
0: is it uh, well it is does does technology help that, or is that just you going to lift weights
1: um well they I don't know how to say because, you know, I don't even know how to use half the stuff on my cell phone. So, <laughs> so I mean, I understand how cell phone operating systems mm-hmm. work. Um, but uh, I, I don't know where technology fits in that other than I think there's going to be some really, uh, really interesting applications of things like virtual reality and augmented reality to deal with the climate crisis. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I mean, let's hope that all this... Uh, um, weaponization, as they say, of the information wars kind of stuff that that doesn't um, destroy us. Um, so there, there's just so many open-ended areas that it's gosh, it's hard, it's hard to say. Uh-huh. But I do think that the main challenge is going to be: can we get our act together as a species to deal with the climate crisis? That's the that's the existential question.
0: Does it seem like we have hit a period of more unknowns than knowns, or has it always been this way
1: That's a hard one mm-hmm. um, i you know if you looked at the world view of the Renaissance people they they thought there were like seven big questions, and if you talk to a scientist philosopher today, they'll say there's nine billion mm-hmm. six hundred million uh big questions, so in that sense, the more we know, the more we know we don't know, I guess. But in terms of uh, what any individual is trying to accomplish in their life, they want to have meaningful friendships. They want to have a roof over their head. They want to have fun, you know. So some of those things are just perennial, mm-hmm. I think. Okay. But if new forms of sentience come into being, where <laughs> cyborgs are, you know, linked over the internet, and they're, you know, new, new whole forms of, of, uh, of. Uh, of being that we don't even philosophy. have any philosophy to ad- to address, that you know,
0: that's it. That is a good question. Does does philosophy still work in this age? Does philosophy, in an era when we understand a lot of what the brain is doing, even down to dreams, etc., um, does do liberal arts and philosophy have anything to have any bring anything to the table anymore?
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean the whole liberal arts idea is that you learn how to learn mm-hmm. you know it's not the subject matter per se as much as it is the 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 um figuring out how to harness curiosity and maintain curiosity um, i I think that I hope that philosophy um is still relevant in terms of figuring out what's important versus what isn't important uh how to know whether you're bullshitting yourself mm-hmm. uh how to how to um Maintain skepticism without falling into cynicism. Um, uh, so I think those are things that philosophy is good for. I hope.
0: I mean, a lot of people are saying that that's basically one of the Facebook's primary problems, uh, and social media's primary problems. That the that the idea. I would. I just wrote recently that the idea of user-generated content. That was kind of a zines and punk music yeah. and all that stuff. That was supposed to be first thought, best thought, and went all the way back to the Beats. Um, and that same idea is what drives current social media. And at that point, we're commoditizing and commercializing it so much that that's first thought, best thought, is now the only thought. It's the only, are we losing something in that process?
1: Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, as a guy who writes novels, mm-hmm. right, if, you, if you're if you trying to sell novels to people who seldom read anything longer than a tweet, you know, that, that is... Uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, that's a difficult proposition, and, and I wonder if I'm just, like, you know, building buggy whips for a living or something. <laughs> but but I do think that, that uh, you know, I hope that um, there are some people out there who can sustain uh, complex thoughts, you know. Like, for example, a, a thought that, that persists over a 400-page novel. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, I... I hope, I hope that we're not just becoming stupider and stupider, although, you know, when you look at our current administration and, you know, maybe, maybe. There's a reason
0: why this podcast is 25 minutes and not like uh, two and a half hours. Yeah. I would love to sit here for two and a half hours and chat with people, but Mm -hmm. it just doesn't, I don't feel that it's fair to take somebody's life for 25 minutes and have them sit and listen to two dudes talk about philosophy. And it's fascinating stuff, obviously. We get, we get some good stuff out of it, but, uh. It's interesting. I've I have a I have a weird way of thinking about this user-generated content that I think it was that I think it was bad. I think it was a bad idea. Yeah. But Genies out of the bottle. How do we change it?
1: Yeah. So What's your opinion?
0: Uh. Well, this is about you, but the the idea is that what myself and my cohorts, all the all the early bloggers, the Gawker kids, did was they basically just tore through the entire media industry in the 2000 early 2000s and we we tore down every single thing that the everything institution we tore down the idea that you have to sit there and you have to call three people before you can write the story right uh, we tore down the idea that that embargoes were important etc cetera, etc cetera, and we basically ripped up in terms of gizmodo we ripped up tech tech journalism in the case of wancat these other sites we ripped up political journalism and what we have now is all the chickens coming home to roost yeah. and that's if i'm if I'm going be cynical about any aspect of the future, and this is a podcast about technotopia it's a utopian vision of the future I want to be cynical about that it's that it's the idea that we tore up institutions that were designed to to safeguard us um, for better or worse from garbage really
1: yeah well i think I think in terms of institutions are we wrapping up here or no, no. I think in terms of institutions that are um, um what am I trying to say? I'm thinking about the United States Senate. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the retrograde, anti-science, close-minded view of the world, it's the current, you know, white, male, uh, wealthy uh, people who are not representative of the, the United States population in general. I mean, certainly the gender-wise, the Senate isn't representative, uh, uh, um race-wise, color-wise, however you want to say it. Uh, it's not representative. And um, the arrogance of those people is is just mind-boggling that you would have sitting senators telling scientists that they know more about climate science than they do mm-hmm. by virtue of, I don't know what, by, by virtue of having been in the Senate for 40 years. Yeah, uh, you know, where where does that arrogance come from? Where does that sense that they know? And a lot of it is, is um, you know, is built into... Um, a religious a sensibility a sense that you know, i know because the bible tells me so mm-hmm. and uh, i really i really find that um upsetting you know did you see that the piece in the in the the new york sunday times magazine yesterday that the the uh the whole issue was uh, dedicated to the um the climate crisis mm-hmm. it, it, it was a uh, the the times put it online on wednesday and it was published as a magazine yesterday and it's the whole issue is about the climate crisis mm-hmm. and it, and it it i was reading a critique of the article by naomi Klein, and and she made a couple of interesting points because the the guy who wrote the article his name was nathaniel rich um he comes to the conclusion that in the 1980s the science was pretty much settled and the opportunities were there to address the problem but we didn't and he says the reason is because human nature just wants us to focus on the short-term uh, things at hand and not look ahead to things that are 30, 40, 50 years off. And, and I just don't think that's right. I think that if you look and, and Naomi Klein makes a compelling case that no, there are lots of other things. Like that's when Reaganism and Thatcherism were were in the ascendancy and the whole neoliberal agenda, the whole I think that said that said your individual actions are what matter, not institutions, not not the common good. There is no such thing as the common good of a libertarian point of view. There's only the you know, your individual uh Advancement mm-hmm. and and, uh, and any common good is a side effect of all that. So that was that was the agenda that that pretty much uh, rejected the whole idea of of concerted action to address a common problem. And that philosophy is very much still alive, and it's embraced by wealthy, powerful people mm-hmm. who are in control. It's just it's kind of enraging. So so you know the the. The, the technological uh future very much depends on the political future.
0: Hmm. Hopefully the kids will be a little more civic minded. Maybe they'll be a little more socialist. I'm yeah,
1: sure. I think so. I think so and I think that there's much more of a global consensus. Younger people um I hope are are uh if they're living in Sao Paulo, Brazil or they're living in in uh, suburban United States or in in sub-Saharan Africa, they realize that they got more in common with each other. And they're facing it than they do with maybe the old farts of their own uh, country, their own, their own culture.
0: And they're all going to be reading your books. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and I hope your listeners are reading my books. And I hope they'll sign up for my newsletter. I know.
0: it. Okay, we've got to get people on your newsletter. Uh, what's your website?
1: Uh, website <laughs> is johnsundman.com. Mm-hmm. And you can go there and sign up for my technopotheosis newsletter, which I right. talk uh, mm-hmm. about art, ethics, synthetic biology, Construction, labor, firefighting, and so forth.
0: We got to get you on a blog. We'll get you on. Uh, we'll get you on a blog somehow. We'll good, see, we'll I appreciate a, it. We'll create a little blog for. I think
1: your your readers, the, the I mean your listeners, the technotopian mm-hmm. kind of people, are my ideal audience. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll try to access them. Your new book is coming out when?
1: It should be ready in October.
0: All right, very good. John Simon National Treasure. Thank you for joining us on Technotopia. This. Thank
1: beautiful. you for having me, John. Thank you. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun
0: Corp. Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the Internet in a fun new way or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com
1: technotopia is presented by your host john biggs it was produced by rick Barr of bar 26 entertainment at ricksvoice.com it appears every friday at noon and we're always looking to talk to interesting people tweet at john biggs if you'd like to join us on the show